A.W. Tozer is a really good theologian. He made this quote, it's equally good. He said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Let that sink in for just a second. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Now, he would go on in that quote to make a few more declarations like this. Man's spiritual history will positively determine that no religion has ever been greater than its idea about God. And he continues on. Worship is pure when the worshiper entertains high and low thoughts of God. That really is good teaching. It's really good theology. It causes us to confront some of the things that we have long heard about the Lord, but possibly never concentrated on. Tozer decided at one point in his life that it was necessary for him to explore the attributes of the Lord one by one. He wanted to embrace them to the best of his ability that he might understand them as fully as possible. So he made a comprehensive list of the attributes of God that he believed were of the utmost importance for every believer to consider. He came up with 19. I want to walk you through each one of them this morning. If you're a note taker, in your worship folder, there's a a little piece of paper that says sermon notes. You might want to flip that over and on the back, see if you can get these down or at least get as many of them down as you can. We'll go as slow as possible, but I know it'll still be difficult for you to get them. If you would like to finish that list out after we're done, we'll do everything that we can to get them back up on the screen for you. Number one, Tozer says we have to explore the wisdom of God. Now, in order to explore that in a way that we could understand it, he would define God's wisdom this way. Godly wisdom is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve these ends by the most perfect means. That's God's wisdom. Number two, he is infinite. God knows no boundaries. That's difficult for many of us to understand. To try to wrap our head around that is somewhat mind-boggling. But it is necessary for us to come to terms with the fact that God is infinite. Number three, his sovereignty. Sovereignty is that attribute by which God rules his entire creation. He is sovereign over all. Number four, holiness. That sets God apart from all created beings. We're instructed in Scripture to pursue holiness. Holiness is one of those lifelong pursuits that will be extremely difficult, yet extremely important for us to get involved in. God is holy. That's why Peter would say, be holy because God is holy. You pursue it because that's who God is. Number five, the Trinity, the whole of God revealed in three persons. All are involved completely whenever one of the three is active. The Trinity is an extremely difficult attribute of the Lord for anybody to wrestle through. It has long been said and said very well that if you try to explain the Trinity, you may lose your mind. Try to explain it away and you will lose your soul. The Trinity is one of those things that we have to consider. Number six, omniscient. God knows everything. Number seven, faithfulness. Everything God has promised will come to pass. Number eight, love. God holds the well-being of others as his primary concern, and that's the love that we try to achieve as well. Number nine, omnipotence. God is all-powerful. 
we get into the words like omniscience and omnipotence. They become these huge theological words that many of us will dismiss just because they're hard to pronounce, yet we have to explore them. In His omnipotence, God is all-powerful. He can do anything. Number 10, self-existent. God has no beginning or end. From the beginning of time itself, folks have wrestled with this. Oftentimes, boiling it down to this question, who created God? No one. God was not created. He is self-existent. He has no beginning. He has no end. Number 11, self-sufficient. God has life in Himself. All other life is a gift from Him. Number 12, He is just. He brings moral equity to everyone. 13, He is immutable. God never changes. Number 14, merciful. This attribute demonstrates that He he is actively compassionate. Number 15, He is eternal. Time is His creation. The promise of eternity is only possible through Him. Number 16, goodness. This attribute is the one from which all of our blessings flow. That's His goodness. And aren't you glad it's extended to us? Number 17, gracious. Giving great gifts to those that don't deserve it. Jesus Christ is the channel through which God's grace moves. And here's the last one. Or no, two more, I'm sorry, 18. He is omnipresent, meaning He is everywhere. Now, that's not just true in this place that we are limited to. God is not just everywhere within our world or our universe. God spans all of creation, able to move in and out of universes, galaxies. God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. And 19, He is righteous. That means His holiness is expressed in dealing with men through this attribute, through His righteousness. Now, Tozer would put all of those together and say that we need to consider every one of them if we want to have an academic understanding of God, or if you really want to have a knowledge of who the Lord is. These 19 attributes will help you achieve that. They'll help you get to a place where you can say you really do have a working knowledge of God. Yet there is one missing, one that I would add to his list, that would help us not in the academic realm, but in the survival realm. If we can really understand this one attribute, then we can actually survive with God. For all eternity, we can survive with God. Now, I want you to let that sink in as well. There is a difference between an academic understanding of God and survival with God. And one of his attributes helps make that very, very plain and very, very personal because it will confront an idea or a concept that exists in most everyone. That's the idea or the concept of list making. I would venture a guess that most people in this room in your exploration of a relationship with God have created at least two lists. One of those lists contains a a number of things that you have done right in your walk with the Lord. The other list contains a number of things that you believe you have done wrong. Now that first list, even in its piety, can help draw us close to God. The second list can keep us not only distant from Him, but separated. If we don't learn how to process it, we will remain completely distant from God. And that's not what God wants for us.
That's not the type of relationship that he is after. So there is an attribute that is wrapped up in all of his being that helps us deal with that because it confronts that second list, the things that we have done wrong. I call that attribute the grace-filled forgetfulness of God. The grace-filled forgetfulness of God. It's one of his attributes. It's part of what makes him God. It's a huge part of what makes him God. Grace-filled forgetfulness. Now remember, the reason it works is the fact that it confronts that second list. The idea of all of the things that we have done wrong in the eyes of the Lord that would keep Him from ever being able to forgive us. And I'm talking about difficult lists. Here, I'll just make one for you. Maybe your list contains, ladies, a lie that you told to your husband. And as hard as you try and as much effort as you throw at it, you can't move past that lie. It's as if it is etched into your soul and you feel riddled with guilt every time you think about it. Or men, maybe your list contains a business trip that took you out of town and you made some choices when you were free of the accountability of your marriage, free of the accountability of your friends, free of the accountability of the church. You made some decisions that you know God would have never wanted you to. And certainly you know they were decisions that God would have never blessed. And as hard as you try, you can't get them out of your mind or out of your heart. They're always there. Some of you might think back to a time in high school when you cheated on a test and and that set a whole course of actions in motion in your life and you have seen your life defined over and over and over again by that same concept, cheating, always trying to take the shortcut and you know that God would have never wanted you to do that. Maybe there's a date that is equally etched in your soul and you cannot get rid of it. No matter how hard you try, that date signifies an epic failure in your life. You remember it every calendar year when you come past it. You think to yourself, this is what I did on this date 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, last year. Whatever it might be, it is this epic failure and you're stuck with it. Maybe, just maybe... The thing that is on your list that is harder to erase than anything else is the jealousy that defined the early years of your first marriage and ultimately the end of it. You've battled as hard as you could to try to overcome it, but that battle was too much and it destroyed the relationship and in many ways has destroyed you. That could be on your list. Maybe there's some habits that you confessed to God last year at this time and you said, Lord, I don't ever want to do these again and I'm going to spend the next 12 months breaking the cycle of these habits so that I don't do them ever again. And you know right now today that you're going to have to make the same confession again. The exact same prayer is going to have to come out of your mouth because those habits are still there. Maybe there was a time in your life where anger dictated everything you ever did and It set just below the surface of your life, stewing like a a caustic mess. And every once in a while, something would happen that would push the buttons and out of the ashes of your mouth would fly words that you wish you could remove. For some people, it's a simple rejection of God that's on their list. And they're reminded of it every day when they see their Bible closed and they know that they haven't opened it for weeks and weeks and weeks. 
And God has extended an invitation for fellowship. And all you have to do is open your Bible and spend some time in prayer. Just two simple little spiritual disciplines that for the better part of 20 years you have tried to embrace. And you have failed over and over and over again. And in the process of failing, you have figured out that God sees that as a massive spiritual rejection. And therefore, He would want nothing to do with you. He wouldn't want to talk with you. He wouldn't want to be with you. Just doesn't want anything to do with you. For others, it's choices, self-destructive choices that have come into their life, and there's a, a whole litany of them. We could stand here for hours making all kinds of illustrations of self-destructive choices that have defined people's lives. But for others, it's just as simple as this. It's sin. I made a choice for sin, and the sin defines me. No matter how hard I try, the sin defines me. And I can't get past it. Well, my friends, you can when you understand this attribute of God, His grace-filled forgetfulness. Because where we can't wave a magic eraser over our list and make it go away, and we can't throw it into a fire and make it go away because it doesn't exist in that realm, it exists in the spiritual realm and in our heart, God has the ability to wave that magic eraser of the blood of His Son over the top of that list and make it go away. And I want you to know this about this attribute. It is not enough for you to hear about it from a preacher. You need to hear about it from God. It's not enough for you to read about it in extra biblical books. You need to see it in God's word right out of the Bible so that you can believe it. This is an attribute of the Lord. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 8 together. If you're a highlighter, an underliner in your Bible, these are some great passages to do that with. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. The writer says very simply, For I will forgive their wickedness. These are God's words. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's what God does. We have not done the idea of forgiveness a great justice through the years in the church because we have always tried to say that forgiving is equated with forgetting. And that if we're really going to forgive those that have done something wrong to us, we're going to have to forget the things that they have done. I don't find anywhere in Scripture that teaches us that. And in our humanity, it's extremely difficult for us to embrace it because it is an attribute of God, not an attribute of man. Now, the Bible teaches that we have to forgive, but sometimes in that forgiveness, we set up healthy boundaries, boundaries of protection that help not only us, but the other people. That's some of what we have to do within forgiveness. But God says when He forgives, He will forgive completely all the way to the point of remembering your sins no more. They're gone. When God looks at you, He doesn't see you. He doesn't see your sins. God has forgiven them and forgotten them. Now, this is a New Testament teaching on this. Let me show it to you from the old as well, from that dispensation, so that you're able to say, this has been an attribute of God from beginning all the way through to the end, so that you can really trust it. We'll go to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31. Again, God's words. I'll give you just a second to get there. First service, I jumped from Hebrews to Jeremiah so fast, nobody could have gone with me. And I started reading and all I could hear were pages turning. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, listen to this, and will remember their sins no more. That's how God forgives. When he looks upon your sin, he isn't carving it down in stone in heaven and saying, that's who this person is. He doesn't even remember your sins. They're gone. That type of forgiveness has the ability to free us from some amazing things like guilt and pain. It has the ability to take us from the realm of disappointment. It actually has the ability to free us from death. That's what this type of forgiveness can actually do for a person. And God knows we need it. God knows that you need it. He knows that I need it. So God extends it to us. And He extends it to us in a way that we can trust because it's different than anybody else you're ever going to see. This is a God attribute. The ability to forgive completely. You ever been around somebody that said, There's no way I can become a Christian because the sins that I have committed are too great for God's forgiveness. I have. Maybe you are one of those people that hold back from giving your life to Christ because you're worried about God's ability to take care of your sin. It scares you to think of actually confessing them and repenting of them because you're not sure that God can actually forgive them. Well, God can and He does. The Lord does over and over and over and over again. He forgives people that way and remembers their sin no more. If you are one of those people, there's a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament that you need to see. We're going to go over to the 32nd Psalm, if you want to turn there with me. Psalm 32, again, this is a passage that really should be highlighted or underlined in your Bible, and you should be very familiar with it. Psalm 32, David is the author of this. Listen to the deep teaching he puts in here. Starts out just powerfully. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Yeah, what a blessing that is. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Now, David's teaching is really good, but interestingly enough, there is a word over on the right-hand side of your Bible in the column that we just read that drives the point home possibly more powerfully than any other passage we might read on this. That word in my Bible sits out to the right-hand side of the page is the word selah. 
Interesting word in Scripture, it really is. It shows up 74 different times. 71 of those times is in the book of Psalms, three times in the book of Habakkuk. I'm guessing a lot of you in your devotional life have been spending time in the book of Habakkuk, so you probably knew that. Not very many people do. 78 times in the Bible, yet biblical scholars and teachers don't really know what the word means. They've thrown all kinds of speculation at it. There's been all kinds of ideas that have been thrown out there. But when push comes to shove, nobody really knows. So what we have to do is take the speculation itself and determine where we're at within that speculation. So I'm going to give you what I believe is the most accurate translation of this. This is Phil's belief of the most accurate translation. Don't write it down like it's gospel. It is just Phil's belief. But if you want to circle that word selah, we do know this. It is used either as a musical note or in the writing of music or as a grammatical effect. And this illustration of it or this understanding of it works in both regards. Selah means, Phil's idea of this, or at least a culmination of different theologians, means stop and listen. It's a pause. Stop and listen. That works musically and that works grammatically. So listen to this passage read with that punctuation. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Stop and listen. And just let that soak in. And then David goes on, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Stop and listen. Let your heart absorb what David is saying. There's a reason that Selah exists in the Bible. It's not just some Hebrew term that was put in there randomly. There's a reason it's there that we might really apply the Scripture the way we are supposed to apply the Scripture. You stop and listen. Listen to the depth of what David is teaching so that you can understand grace-filled forgetfulness. God doesn't even remember your sins. When He forgave you, He forgave you completely. Now, Interesting the way David would put this in there. When I kept silent, verse 3, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. What he's really saying is that there were physical ramifications to my lack of forgiveness. For my inability to move past my sins, I paid a physical price. In recent years, the medical profession has done a lot of studying on forgiveness. Up until about 20 years ago, They didn't pay much attention. In fact, by 1997, there were only 58 published articles on the medical effects of forgiveness. Since 1997, that number has went well past 1,200. In the last 20 years, doctors in the medical profession have said there's more to this than just what the faith world has to say. There's more to this idea of forgiveness than just what theologians and preachers have tried to put forward. There's some medical stuff that we need to listen to. And here's what they've determined. 
of those 1,200 articles, most of them all agree that some of the physical effects that happen in a person's life when they experience real forgiveness are things like this. Your blood pressure goes down because your stress level comes down. Your heart is healthier and you are at less risk of heart disease because you have experienced real forgiveness, lasting forgiveness. And they tie it to this. Because that type of forgiveness and the removal of the stress that is related to it diminishes the role of cortisol in your body. Cortisol, you might wonder what that is. Cortisol is a hormone that rages within you in moments of stress to give you strength and power to deal with those situations. But if it remains in your system too long, it does damage. It begins to take a toll. So when you experience forgiveness, cortisol comes down and your body begins to heal and recover. That's why David would say, until I had experienced this type of forgiveness, my body was wasting away. I was in trouble. Some of you know exactly what that's like. You would describe it this way. I've just been eaten up by a lack of forgiveness. Yes, you have. I've been wasting away in a lack of forgiveness. Yes, you have. Whether that's your inability to forgive other people, but more importantly, wasting away in your own ability not to understand God's forgiveness as He would extend it to you. And that forgiveness is complete. Absolutely complete. Still, we find ourselves saying, how do I really embrace this? Even if academically, intellectually, I can understand it, how do I embrace it so that I can truly experience it in my life? Well, you have to know some things about God. God will never, listen, God will never let you be in a situation beyond your ability to handle it where sin is concerned. Never. Take it to the bank. God won't let that happen. Not enough for you to hear that from me. You need to hear it from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. There is always a way out. When you are faced with temptation, there is always a way out. And that comes through the power of Jesus Christ as it is extended in your life. There is always a way out. God knows exactly what you're made of. He will not allow you to face temptations that you do not have the power to overcome and to be victorious over. He won't allow it to take place. There is always a way out. Sometimes we question our ability. We question our power. God doesn't. Because for His children, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. And when you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you, you always have victory right at your fingertips. It's always there. But in those moments where you don't claim that victory and you don't live it, there is still a way out. And that is God's grace-filled forgiveness that leads to forgetfulness. God is there, faithful ready to forgive and ready to deal with your sin in such a way that he will deal with it completely. Let's go back to the book of Psalms again. 103rd Psalm. Again, David wrote this Psalm. Verse 12, Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions 
from us. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has gone to forgive you. He has removed your transgressions that far. You ever wondered why? Why would God take them that far away? Well, simple reasons. Number one, He doesn't want them to be close to you. So when He forgives you of that sin and He removes it and takes it that far away, it's because He doesn't want your sin to be that close to you. He wants it off your list. He wants it removed. He wants it gone. It's no longer a defining aspect of who you are. God forgave it. As far as the east is from the west, it is gone. He also doesn't want it close to Him because He's righteous and holy. So He gets rid of it and He takes it that far away. That's amazing news. When we start processing the fact that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear and that when He forgives us and He forgives us completely, here's what you have to know. That is true for you the same way it is true for me. There is nothing different in my life than there is in yours where the grace of God is concerned. He has extended to you the same grace He's extended to me. You want to know how bad it is or actually how good it is? God has extended the same grace to Deanie that he extended to you. And think of all the things Deanie's done. Sorry, did you hear the bus coming before I shoved? God forgives Deanie the same way he forgives me. He forgives you the same way he forgives Deanie. He forgives everyone the exact same way. The way out is the same for every person. Victory is at your fingertips, and when you blow it, so is forgiveness. Trust it. And when God forgives you, he forgives you completely. Well, that still leaves a lot of people saying, how? I don't get that. Remember, as we went through the the list of 19 things, and and 10 of them had asterisks next to them. There's a, a website today that has those 10 attributes of God, and they refer to them as the amazing attributes of God. That's why 10 of them had asterisks there. Just kind of made me smile. Those were the amazing attributes of God. Well, of the 19 or the 10 or whatever you look at, there are always questions attached to every one of those attributes. How can that work? How can God be omnipresent? How can God be omniscient? How can God sustain his own life? How can God do all these different things? And the how question can become a stumbling block for a lot of people, so much so that they trip over it and never get back up because they get stuck on the how. And this one, more than most of the others, has that type of a stumbling block attached to it. How can God so completely forgive me that he does not remember my sins? How can God do that? Because it's impossible for me. Somebody's done something against me, I'll remember it forever. Now, I may have forgiven them, but I'm going to remember it forever. That's what a lot of us think. I may be able to look at them and not want them to get hit by a bus or thrown into the river, but I I don't want to share a meal with them. How can God not forgive the same way? Well, the answer is fairly simple, and it's found in the Bible as well. Let's go to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. Here's the answer to our own question of how does this work? When God looks at you, he sees his son. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus, and Jesus is perfect. Some translations of the Bible say that when you were baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. 
You were clothed in Christ. When we give our life to the Lord and we are baptized into Him, all of a sudden God sees something so totally different. He doesn't see your sin and your mistakes and your list. He sees His perfect Son whose blood covered you and covered your sins. That's one of the miracles that happens in baptism. You put on Christ and you stand before God as a new person. Your list doesn't matter anymore. You are camouflaged in Jesus and all God sees is His Son. Isn't that great news? It really is. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Yesterday, we were in Kalispell, another one of the Allspaw family traditions. We always go to Kalispell the day after Christmas and go look at some of the, the shops and the stores and the sales that they have. And sometimes we're able to capitalize on some things. It's just a fun time. Kids have Christmas money they want to go spend. We may have Christmas money we want to go spend. So we do. And we just have a great time with one another. We eat dinner there and, and eat ice cream because that's what you should do the day after Christmas is eat ice cream. And, and so we did and, and just had a blast. Well, in order to have that type of a day, you have to start right, and that means at the feed store. So that's exactly what we did. We started at Murdoch's, at the feed store, one of our favorite destinations when we go there. Our kids are old enough that we can divide and conquer when we go places like that. So everybody heads their own way, and it's easy to round everybody up in today's world. You just send out a text that says, we're leaving, you better be outside. And, and that works out fairly well, too. But, so everybody is divided up among the store. We're walking around doing our own thing, and the next thing I know, Katie is running towards me as fast as she can. I'm like, well, this is different. She got close to me, and she said, Dad, you have to save me. And I said, okay, from what? Now, this is what every father kind of wants to hear, but never wants to hear. Dad, you have to save me. And I said, from what? She said, he's here. Okay, you have my attention. I said, who's he? And she started to tell me. A few months ago, she came home from work. Katie works at First Montana Bank. She told us about this guy that is somewhat stalking her and saying inappropriate things to her at the bank. Even through the drive-thru, he's sending messages in to her and, and so on. Now, I'm pretty proud of her boss. He went out and dealt with this fellow at work and, and tried to put a stop to it. But still, he was in Murdoch's yesterday while we were there. And this was her option. She ran to me and said, Dad, save me. And then she stood right behind me. And in my ear was telling me what was happening. And she didn't leave my back. Everywhere I went, she's with me. I thought, well, I need to go over here and have a little talk with this man. She grabs my shirt and pulls me back. No, we're going to stay right here. I'm thinking to myself, concealed carry is a great thing. Let's talk to this. No, <clears throat> anyway. So we're walking around the store. Katie's right behind me the whole time. If I turn one way, Katie's behind me. If I turn the other way, Katie's behind me. Always staying behind me. So what this man would see was not Katie, but me. Well, that's the same way it works with God. He sees Jesus when he looks at you. You are safe behind him. That's exactly what the psalmist said. He was running to find safety in Christ. He was running to find safety in a relationship with God. And we find that through Jesus Christ. So much so that it lasts forever. When God looks at you, he doesn't even see you. He sees His Son. You are covered by His blood and covered by His grace. And that gives you access to all that God's kingdom holds for us. Not your sin keeping you out, but Jesus' blood bringing you in. That's the way it works. When God looks at me, He sees Christ. 
when he looks at you, he sees Christ. That works. That's how it works. And part of that happens in baptism, where we have the opportunity to put him on. Great hymn writer named Edward Moat figured that out. He wrote these words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me at the overwhelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. This attribute of the Lord, you have to deal with it. Everybody does. I pray that you will. Whether that is today or in the coming weeks or the coming months, I pray that you will. And if you have never been able to understand it, that may be because you have never stood in the waters of baptism. You've never been immersed by those waters or into those waters and found the grace of Jesus Christ that's contained there. Galatians 5 tells us, tells us that there we put on Christ and it's a huge game changer. Put on Christ. See what happens. Why don't you stand and pray with us. Father in heaven, we uh, can work our way through all kinds of different lists of attributes. and We can find an academic head knowledge of you and it can never penetrate to our hearts. Sometimes, Lord, that's because we've never allowed it to. We keep a barrier in front of our heart, a barrier of failures, a barrier of sin, a barrier made up of that list we talked about. Lord, you deal with that list in such an incredible way. Thank you for that. That incredible way was made possible through your son and through his blood. We're grateful for that. Lord, I pray that people will embrace it. I pray that people will discover it and Allow it to change them. Pray, Father, that that will happen quickly. For those that have been resistant to you, I pray that today will be a day of salvation. For those that need more information, I pray that they'll find it before it's too late. I pray, Lord, that you'll extend this wonderful grace once again. And then do it once again. And then once again. It's the way you've always done it, Lord. Kingdom was built one person at a time still is. And I pray that that will happen right here at Libby Christian Church. And I pray, Lord, that you receive the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.